Hello and welcome everyone to our next journey on the encounter. We are on the road again. I am Reverend Becky Zardi and I am joined by my cohort in crime. Christopher Fleming and we are at Bethel University, McKenzie, Tennessee. If you can see our uh, background, we're at CPYC. This is the uh, 99th year and so next year we're celebrating 100 years of C the Cumberland Presbyterian Youth Conference. But until next year, it's 99 years and we're enjoying every bit. So if you hear again, children, um, like last week, none we, we can do a lot of kiddos around us and the same this week. So, so thank you for joining us and uh, thank you for tolerating our on, on the road videos, I guess, you know, because we do the best that we can do. So we love you. And this is why we're doing what we do. We are in our study for July 10th. This is lesson number six in the summer encounter. And we're looking at Job 32 verses one through 10, insolent interruption. So let's begin with our prayer for illumination. Almighty God, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in you. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom through Christ our Lord. Amen. This also came from the Book of Common Worship. It's a great place to find some prayers if you're interested. Yes, very much. So this week we're talking about Elihu. Yes. Elihu. 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 That's what I say. Elihu. Our memory verse comes from Job 32 and 3. It says he was angry also at Job's three friends because they had found no answer, though they had declared Job to be in the wrong. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Estes starts us off with a really interesting discussion question. He says, have you ever been in a serious conversation when someone who hasn't been part of the dialogue comes in and takes over the exchange? I'm a preacher. This happens often. What? Yes. Really? It does. It happens often. What? It, it, this is true. It does happen. And if you have children. What? You know, that, that constant. Why? 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 Mommy? Why? why? Or if you have teenagers, they let you know how wrong you are. This is true. They do. And they just, they just completely take over the exchange. They take over the conversation and just expect that everybody should just zip their lip and pay attention to what they're saying. And this is kind of what happens with Elihu in our exchange today. Elihu has been quiet this whole time. And then all of a sudden, bam. Yeah, not only has he been quiet the whole time, we don't even know he's there because he's not listed yeah. as one of the company of, of Job's friends that come to see him. It could very well be that he was just a kid and you know they weren't you know important maybe to, to count sure. among the number. Sure. Um, it could be that uh, maybe Elihu was just traveling you know, wandering away and uh, came upon four guys just sitting at a campfire looking like they're having time. So he comes up to listen. Who knows? Uh, but that's that's kind of but it is. It's an interruption. It's an in your face kind of like, OK, yeah. well, now, since y'all can't do anything right, let me try. Yeah, exactly. And this is what Lehu does. So what did you get out of the introduction here? Well, what I just said, but then also. Um, we'll talk about it more in the exploring scripture part, but I do think, like I said, we don't know exactly where Elihu comes from, but we also know that Elihu is not included in the list of the friends that uh, Job needs to sacrifice for because of their insolence, if you yeah. will, or their hard-headedness or whatnot. Um, and I don't know why Dr. Estes shares some maybe reasons, but so far as the introduction, that's that's all. Yep, that's all we know. So let's jump into exploring the scripture. He really gets into, I love that he points out that in the culture, it was expected that youth 
would yield to age and matters of wisdom. Yeah. And I, th I think that's really important to note here, again, because Elihu was not listed in the beginning and because he's not listed at the end, that he just kind of shows up in this section of conversation that that makes him makes us understand that he had to be a younger person, that he had to be someone that was listening to wisdom and doing what was culturally appropriate. At least just, at one point. Yeah. At, yeah, at least at this point, to be culturally appropriate, to sit back and listen to what Job's friends had to say before he made any conversation himself. And some credit there. I've been in situations, especially when I'm younger. I've been in general assemblies where people just kind of blurt things out without waiting for the proper procedures. So, oh my, um, it does happen that way. Um, and and Doctor Estes brings up maybe one of the reasons is is because maybe this section was like when it was being passed down, mm -hmm. there was somebody who just I don't believe this because of um, the the way Jewish folks transcribe scriptures from generation to generation. You didn't take liberties. To just add your stuff in there. Right. And there were um, checks and balances most of the time, I would say. I mean, like sure. if you look at some of the uh, scrolls, like the Dead Sea Scroll, and compare it with things that were in the first century, I mean, through 600 years, there's very minor variables, very, very minor. And I mean, like very, very minor. Right. So I just don't think people had the audacity to just insert, just to say, hey, I'm going to put my two cents in and maybe right. so, but even if it did, I'll go back to the thing to where I'm an editor for this um, encounter and I have complete control who writes. And if I don't like something, I can take it out and I can put something in if I want to, but God's That's an true. editor of this whole book we call the Bible. So uh, God can do whatever he wants, Yeah. but we take it by faith that what we have in front of us is what God desires us to have. At least I take it by faith. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Uh, and I think Dr. Estes says that when he says, you know, whether it was added by somebody else, whether it wasn't, it does add to the story as a whole. Yes. And so, yes, that's the first thing I'd say. Um, but so far as the content, um, Elihu, again, Elihu comes at this righteously in some sense. I mean, like, I like the way Dr. Estes in that first paragraph just says, uh, Elihu was angry at Job because he justified himself rather than justifying God. Yes. And then he was mad at the friends because they couldn't refute Job uh, effectively. And so, like, I mean, that's what we do. I mean, we don't want to see God's honor. No. Um, dishonor. Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's part of uh, part of being Christian is that we we want to glorify and give God the honor. So here they were, like, I want. I don't want to say being dishonorable to God, but they weren't maybe defending him to the point where Elihu felt it was right. what they needed to do. And I do like that Dr. S has pointed out that um, Elihu's name means that my God is he. Yeah. And and he has really, Elihu has really taken upon himself to defend the Lord's justice and to defend uh, God's name, if you will. So that is important because Elihu, I think Dr. Estes puts in here, Elihu is the only one that actually has like a real Hebrew name. Yes. Yes. And so there is, you know, and we said the setting for this, regardless of when it was written, we know the setting of it is before, before the establishment of Israel. Yes. So, yeah. So it's interesting that, that his name is the only one that is, that is Hebrew. Um, and I do think there's something at the very bottom of page 38, it says from Hilla, whose perspective, they sold God's justice short. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. I mean, like, again, it's hard. Like if you love somebody, it's hard to hear bad things about them. Yeah. And even if, you know, I've had some friends that weren't morally upright, but when people 
Yeah. Poo pooed on them. I still wanted to defend them a little sure, bit. Sure, because they were your <laughs> friends. You yeah. know, I mean, that's that's what we should do. You know, yeah. He also says on the top of page 39, and this is true if you look through Elihu's, like the thing that Elihu doesn't do, he kind of does, but he doesn't. He doesn't talk about any of Job's specifics so far as secret sin or, mm-hmm. or bad morality or like, you know, when his dealings took the kickbacks or things like that. So at least Elihu started with the fact that Job didn't do those secret things, which maybe Job's other friend said, well, we know you've done something. Right. Right. Like, yeah. so, um, but to go further, Elihu then decided because Job was one of those pretty good folks, maybe Job was starting to think because he was pretty good, then meant that he was really righteous. Right. And so, and maybe a little bit, I mean, some of Job's things, uh, maybe, uh, yeah, I mean, he got there a little bit. He kind of did. I mean, really, because he kept talking about how he's never done anything wrong. Right. And, you know, I mean, so maybe, maybe he did what's going on. But again, that was after... But- that was after, you know, chapters of being told how bad he was. Yeah, well, this is true. So maybe he was thinking about some other stuff. Yeah. But, but. Elihu wasn't exactly the best uh, demonstrator of humility either. No. Um, Job 36, 2 through 4, where he proclaims, uh, For truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. I can just hear a teenager saying that. <laughs> Actually, I think I might have said that. You know, I mean, think back, think back, teachers, to your your young twenty. You know, I think we've talked about this before. How the older I get, the dumber I am, because now I can say I don't know. But when I was in my early twenties, you know, just had to ask me, and I would have told you because I knew everything. You know, right? Solved all the world's problems there in that that one process. So starting on page thirty nine, about the middle of the page. I think Elihu does get closer to a good argument than his friends. So um, uh, that I guess it's the one, two, third full paragraph about middle of the page. Elihu suggests that God is neither answer, answerable nor accountable to any human being. Hmm. And I, I, I mean, that kind of is like if he would right. shut up right there. He would have been good. He would have been good. Uh, and he would have just, but like young folks and ideologically driven folks are want to do, you've got to justify yourself. And so yeah. uh, sometimes if you just stop, then you've done pretty good. Yeah. And I do think that's a great argument because Job was looking for accountability. He was looking for someone to explain to him why he was suffering, what he was suffering and, and what it is that God found so wrong in him that he needed to be punished for, you know, and, and we go back to that. I think we were talking about it a little bit before we started recording. That is, do we really have any right to explain God's justice? I mean, we do have some people. Some too. I mean, to an extent, you got to know, like I said, I think the most important thing is that, you know, that God is present with you. Yeah. You don't have to know. In all things. Right. But if you don't, if you, like Job, I think has gotten to the point where he just doesn't feel God is near. Sure. And that sure. makes life difficult when Absolutely. you're going through bad things. Yeah. When you're going through a, a dark time, when you're walking through that valley and you don't feel God's presence near to you, man, that is. Yeah. Real. Because like you can, you can justify going through some hard times if you know God's with you. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. easy. When you so don't. maybe that's where, that's where really Job is at, is he just feels so distant from, distant from God right now. Yeah. 
Then he goes on to say they do have this discussion, though, about the pit. Like, so Elihu gets back to this reward, almost a reward or punishment type schema. Yeah. Um, And then brings in the idea of the pit, which means the abode of death or Sheol or whatever else. And so um, Elihu takes the position that God will sometimes put you through things in order to keep you from hastening your um, visit to the to the pit right. or to death. Um, we talked before, like by this time, I know in at least this setting, the understanding of afterlife hasn't been codified mm-hmm. in Jewish understanding, but yep. but you die. Like as long as people sure. have been born, they die. Sure. And so the thought of death and the thought of you know, one day you're walking on this earth and the next day you're not. Yeah, where do you go? What yeah, happens? You have to think those things through because, yeah. you know, doesn't matter how advanced of a society you are, or at least advanced, you know, pain of missing your loved ones. Absolutely. And so, but they, they more so than not in the Old Testament, just talk about the, the, the pit of death or, or you know, going mm-hmm. into the ground, these kinds of things. Um, but there is a sense, though, in which, and even in the earliest Hebrew, like if you live well, you'll live well and longer and healthier in your experience before you go down to the pit. Right. <clears throat> and in like maybe some sects of Christianity think so much on heaven that, you know, it's like, you know, I can't wait to reach heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, the Jewish person, it was, it was a more earthy existence. And so like being here was a blessing too. Right. Like there's blessings abounding here on this earth. And I think sometimes we do a disjustice in life if we, we don't do. think that this life is good. Yes. Um, it, you know. We've talked about that on, I think, several times where we get so caught up, you know, especially here in Western Christianity. I think we can get so caught up in the afterlife, what's right. going to happen to us once we cross over that we forget that we're still here. And it's a blessing. It's not. And, yeah, and it we, is a blessing. It's a huge right? blessing. Like there's people who though get so upset about things that like their life is exhausting because they, they're trying to snuff out every injustice, which I, you know, tip my hat, give credit, but man, they're also miserable people. Yeah. And so there's blessings all around and this life is supposed to be good too. Yes. God has blessed us to be a blessing to others. And and so you have to take time. We're also doing a study on spiritual disciplines. And that's one of the things that we talk about frequently is just enjoying the moment here and understanding that God is with us and God is working through us and with us and, and helping us be a great part of his creation because we are his creation. So, um, yeah, in a couple of weeks, we're going to dive into Ecclesiastes and that really is kind of the theology of Ecclesiastes. Like, what can you enjoy on this earth except the work of your hands and what God's given you to? Yeah. So there's that, but we won't go there. Yeah. Um, interesting questions in the bottom half of that paragraph in the next paragraph on page 39. I don't want to really dip into it except to say that there's at least a thought of a redeemer. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not well developed or anything, and it's not like you can't read that and be like, oh, Jesus, straight from that text. You can now that you have the New Testament, but that might be something you bring out. Um in your class, uh, anything else you want to do to this? No, let's, yeah, let's get the discussion question. So the discussion question on that says, how does our culture treat older people? What do young people seem to believe about the age wisdom compared to their own? And has your own opinion of your parents and grandparents understanding of life changed with age? 
we've talked a lot this week here being at CPYC about getting old. Yeah. <laughs> and these the, people stay up all night. <laughs> they do. And oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, so how does our culture treat older people? I think that's a cultural thing. Yes. Like I think that there were people who were raised that um, you get deference Absolutely. to older folks, even when they're wrong. And I think maybe that's changing a little bit. I mean, I think even in my generation, that's changed mm-hmm. much. I mean, like the the titles that you give older folks, like, yeah. uh, you know, ma'am or yes, sir, or whatever, that was ingrained in me as a Southerner. And if I didn't use it, my mom would backhand me. Go mom. Right. Um, but then there are people who, you know, we have that, well, I'm not given respect until it's given to me kind of thing. Sure. So I don't know. I mean, I got that in the restaurant all the time. I'm like, you don't have to respect me because I disrespect you. It's because I pay you. Like, right? Right. At least by your paycheck. You My goodness. Play the game. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, I think uh, I think it depends on where you're at. Sure. And I think it depends on how you're raised. And, you know, our culture, uh, I've watched it change over my life. But even as a kid, I was taught to respect my elders, whether I agreed or disagreed with them. And I recognized that my peers were not always that respectful of some no. of their elders, especially if they didn't disagree with them. But, um, you know, if I think about like the Japanese culture or the Latino culture, the way they care for their older people is very different from what we what we do with ours. And then also the wisdom question. I think that also like how what do young people seem to believe about the aged's wisdom compared to their own? And we've become a culture that like every two years we get a new cell phone, the new is better. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a big mistake because the reason why wisdom of older people is wisdom is because they live through it. Yeah. And then sometimes people, I mean, there are some things like you probably don't want to get like cell phone advice from your grandparents. Sure. But yeah, because I don't want that. What was that called? But, the jitterbug? Right. The jitterbug. The jitterbug. But you also have this class right now, like you all have probably heard in social media, the term boomer, like, okay, boomer, or when the boomers talk about the lazy generations, like that Mm -hmm. there's almost a gulf in between and there's truth in both. Um, And so, again, I think it starts with some humility, respect. The reason why older folks are old is because they've done some things right. And and like older people are generally more happy than younger people, like young folks, I think uh, under 28, like. A full 38% have experienced uh, depressive episodes, major depressive episodes yeah. in, their, in their last year. Like, you know, maybe maybe y'all aren't as smart as you think mm-hmm. um, when it comes to what, what human flourishing means, outdated modes of whatever, yeah. of living or decision-making. I don't know, yeah. but um, you can see things are changing rapidly with yeah. what was the old tradition. Well, with the advent of more advent of technology and thinking that we have all the answers at the tip of our fingers and not realizing that life experience is so important you know i mean that's a whole lot more than what a wikipedia page can tell you sometimes Mm -hmm. you know yeah so that's a great question for your class um let us know in the comments below you know as you like and subscribe this channel make sure you put your comments below what what is it how do you think that older people are being treated and and the uh, changes that you've witnessed yourself. That would be a great conversation to have. You want to dig deeper? Let's dig deeper. So Dr. Estes, I love this section. 
He says, we might find ourselves thinking that Elihu's heart is in the right place, but not really. He is the self-appointed defender of the Lord's justice and the veneer of his concern for Job is crinkled by his own insistence on being right. And I love, we talked about this a little bit, 33, 32 through 33 says, listen to me, Job, he says. And if you think you can answer, go ahead, but otherwise keep silent and I will teach you wisdom. Yes. And that was rhetorical, Ooh. I believe. I don't yeah. think he was waiting for I, jokes. Yeah. Answer. But I'm telling you right now, if one of my kids had come and said that to me. <laughs> would have gone to jail. <laughs> I would have gone, gone to jail. jail. That would have been it. Woo-wee. That's some smart mouth in there, buddy Holly. So what, what did you get out of the digging deeper? What else did you get out of this? Yeah. So like, um, what I have in here is that like, along with some of the things that I experience in today's world, there are good reasons for people to want to confront injustice. Sure. But I think Elihu is a victim of ideology and the ideology isn't necessarily wrong. He wants to defend God, but ideology blinds you to human experience. It blinds you to other people's experience. It blinds you to the, whatever they call like a fourth order consequence. Like you see a problem and it's a problem, but the way you want to fix it, it's going to make mistakes two, three steps down the road. Uh, But, but you're not old enough or you haven't experienced enough to see that. Sure. And so I think, um, so for instance, uh, at the bottom of that second paragraph under digging deeper, uh, uh, Elihu says, do wicked and the Almighty will not pervert justice. That is absolutely true, right? But his life hasn't been long enough to see all the injustice go undone. On sure, earth, yeah. Or all the justice rewarded. Yeah. Um, so I'm there's that. Sure. Um, there's a, I read a book while I was at the Bible college from a German theologian named Helmut Tylicky. And uh, say that word again. Tyleke. Tyleke. Okay. Uh, and it's it's a must read. I think it is a must read for any preacher, um, especially a young one that goes off in their first semester of college or, or seminary and then they come home to preach to their poor congregation. Yeah. But in that book, it says, tell me how much you know of the sufferings of your fellow human being and I will tell you how much you really love them. Right. And so there's a sense in which um, you can be right about things, but if you don't know the pains and sufferings of those that you're teaching rightness. You don't care about them. You care about being right. And mm-hmm. that's not how it works in uh, Christianity. It's not how it works. Um, and I think that's what Elihu is experiencing. Mm-hmm. He is more, and I think that's what a lot of young folks in our day, sure. they are desperately wanting to be right. And they're not wrong about some things, sure. but they're also not experienced in life. No. And they don't know the the consequences of some of the things they say. Right. How to approach it. And how they how and they say how them. they say it. How how what's your tone, what your body language is reflecting, you know, and how how what you're saying, whether it's truth or not, how that's going to be received by the other person and what damage that can cause. Um, yeah. So like Dr. S points out, I think scripture points out the fact that um because of that council that happened in heaven between mm-hmm. satan and god yep. and all that and all the other heavenly beings yeah his friends are speaking without knowledge mm-hmm. the first three and so i think we could just say elihu is speaking without experience yeah and and i think that's where we talked about wisdom so like you have this combination of knowledge experience love and divine mm-hmm. you know revelation that we bring when we're being people of wisdom yeah so there's that see 
Absolutely correct. I'm going to go through that other stuff. Uh, Do you want to hit the discussion question? No, let's hit the discussion okay, question. so discussion question here is Elihu could be a Pharisee. Could be. Could be. He had knowledge, but no grace. Do you know of any Christians who know it all? but do not empathize or have grace when speaking to others. I'm a preacher. Again, it goes back to what we were saying before. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Done it. Experienced it. Seen it. <laughs> Witnessed the whole gamut. Yes, absolutely. It's what we do. Yeah. Seen things. Because there are a lot of people, there's a, a lot of people who have had knowledge but have no heart knowledge. And I think maybe that's where Elihu is. Maybe he has this head knowledge, but he has no heart knowledge because he doesn't have the life experiences. And so he's not looking at that from, from that life experience. Yeah, but I also say there's a danger. There's a ditch on the other side. But true. You can go too far. Yeah, and you never, you know, you teach him what? Give the man a fish, he eats for a day. Teach a man to fish, he eats for a lifetime. Sure. And a lot of times we're so empathetic that we don't want to challenge anyone to do any better or to think different. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is create dependency or mm -hmm. maybe a sense of paternalism. Sure. That if it wasn't for me, this person couldn't even, uh, this person couldn't even survive. Sure. And so I'm just going to make sure I care for them. And yeah. like, that's not an existence either. No, because there's a difference between empathizing and, and compassion. compassion. Yeah, there's, a, there's another book that if anybody wants to read, I'm sure y'all take all these recommendations and, and just run right to the bookstore. Right, Amazon that right up. <laughs> I don't know the guy's name. I can't remember the guy's name, but he's a Yale uh, sociologist and did some studies on empathy and compassion. And and we talk about being empathetic, but he's shown through just the whole history of the world, empathy is terrible. Right. When it comes to society, because when you start making rules or regulations or plans for just one person that you can empathize with mm -hmm. you're forgetting about the billions of people that live in the world and what helps one person may hinder the rest, the rest of society and so sometimes we create roles increasingly more so that are geared toward two percent of your population but there's 98 percent out there that then are stuck by a rule for two percent so you mm -hmm. got to be careful but ultimately, it's still a thing of your heart. It's compassion sure. is the way to go. Like yeah. you want to create a society or a church or a life by which you have rules and standards that help people flourish, but then also have mm -hmm. compassion for those that, for whatever reason, aren't flourishing in, right. in your life or society or church or house or whatever. Um, so that's something to think about. Absolutely. Difference between empathizing and being compassionate. Yeah. And, and empathy is not bad on a personal level. Right. Empathy no. is actually good, especially yeah. if you're mentoring someone or whatnot. But yeah. just as the the higher up you grow, when you're talking about general philosophies like you'll find in the Bible, general rules or commandments, you don't want to have rules and commandments for two percent of the people. You want to have it for the what would cause the most human beings to grow at yes. their greatest uh, image of God. Yeah, absolutely. Good question to talk about. So let's let's learn from scripture. I hope we? so. I hope we learn from scripture. Um, Dr. Estes says there is no doubt a lot to be learned during affliction, but God does not send affliction for that purpose. God may enable us to see things differently because of our sorrow or heartache, but that is different from what Elihu portrays. What do you think? Yeah, I think he's right. That's different from Elihu portrays. But I think Elihu, again, was thinking about it from a divine perspective. And I think that one uh, verse where, you know, or that one thought to where, like, we can't, 
we can question God, yes, but we can't know. Like God is God and we are clay. Yeah. And so there's a sense to where, I mean, like nothing that happens is like, again, I get to the point, like, like I get it when bad things happen. I don't, I've never thought, why is God doing this to me? I'm like, I'm of the, maybe it's my temperament. When something good happens, I have that thought of when's this going to stop? Or when's mm. the hammer coming down? Or what's oh, the next? Oh, right, oh, you're like, waiting for the shoe to fall. Yeah, fall. because okay. like that's my theology, and maybe it's a terrible theology. It could very well be because like I'm suspicious of all the good things that happen because well, I don't understand why anything good happens. So I'm pleasantly surprised. All <laughs> wow. Okay. Right. Very good. Um. So I guess I, I say that to just say that like that's the main point, and so I don't. I just this, you know, why bad things happen or mm-hmm. or is this God trying? No, I have also said before, though, I do believe God specifically spanks you every once in a while to get you back. I agree. But uh, but I just I, I haven't. It's terrible that it happens, but it doesn't. I'm but it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't mean that God's necessarily punishing you just because. Just because he wants to punish people, he's, you know, I mean, right. You know, that's, and that kind of leads into our discussion question here on this one too. It says, what are the dangers of believing everything that happens to you, whether good or bad, is a judgment about your spirituality? That, that is a, that is a slippery slope. Yeah, to walk it's a down. slippery slope. Because we live in a broken world yeah. and bad things happen to good people. I mean, and bad things happen to bad people, but good things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. Yeah. So is it really... You know, can we really say it's about our spirituality when bad things happen to us? I think there are times. Yeah. I think there are times when, like you said, sometimes God gives you a good spanking to get you right back on the right path. But I don't I don't think that that we need to judge everything. Yeah, no. So there's an old country song. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> and when you get in that phase, you look for signs and symbols to justify where you're at. Sure. And so I think the same thing happens when events happen. Like if you're going down a bad road, but a lot of good things happen, you know, that might not be connected. You're thinking, oh, obviously this is what God wants me to do. Or if you're doing something that's right, but it's hard and there's obstacles thrown in your way, you tell yourself, I guess God's closing the door. But no, I don't think you did. I think it's what you're committed to before you start. Sure. As to whether this makes sense or not. You you know, and I, and I go back to that movie again. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I go back to God's not dead where the line in that film is sometimes Satan lets good things happen to bad people to keep you distracted from the thing that you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. That or the other thing I like it when religious folks always point to like the bad things that happen to somebody and be like, well, they deserve it. That's God punishing them. But when it happens to them, like if cancer all of a sudden jumps up on them, well, we'll pray for you. This is just something from Satan. Like, I don't know how that works. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I am not proud enough to say that like, what I do necessarily affects God's heart to me. No. Mm-mm. All right. So how do we apply this scripture, Chris? I don't know. That's what you're here for. <laughs> Good luck, people. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, so Elihu, it says he claims his heart leaps out of his chest when he hears the voice of the Lord in thunder. Yeah. Mm. Like, I mean, like David and the Psalms, mm-hmm. the creation speaks forth. Yep. Um, and if you if you stand before like a hurricane or you see the devastation oh. and you know that's just something that happens on this earth a little planet that's an insignificant planet in the yeah. whole totality of the world and you see the damage it can cause and if, right. if God has created this whole thing then how big is God right so it oh, certainly speaks right yeah 
Um, but again, I don't know how you have to have that necessarily as divine punishment or reward. Yeah. Or um, but I do say at the very least, like that second paragraph or the last paragraph mm-hmm. on 42, where Dr. Estes says, you know, these may indeed prompt us to fervent prayer, even a desire to live more faithfully for God. But these natural events are not God trying to tell us something. I wouldn't say that that far. Like I said, I think that's up to an individual person. Sure. Like it could be, could not be, but I'm not going to blanketly yeah. say it's not. Because sometimes, and and we've all, I think we've all heard stories about natural disasters, things that have been really bad, that people take that and and recognize that God is trying to talk to them about something, yeah, whatever. So I mean, it could be, but it's not. Also, I, I agree, it's not a blanket statement. It's not like. Yeah. Everybody. I think yeah. I've learned as being a preacher, blanket statements about God are pretty hard. Yes. But I yeah. mean, but if you don't have them, then you devolve into wishy-washy, mm-hmm. what does this text say to you stuff, which mm-hmm. I have no use for. But Mm-mm. again, that's my personality. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, I also appreciate the fact that while we can, like, number one, they're more demonstrable when you have a hurricane, when you have an earthquake, sure. when you have some massive thing. It's allowed. It's like a kid screaming in the grocery store, but a kid also talks quietly. And those are usually the most intimate moments. And so in the church, I like that Dr. Estes brings up God communicates normally, ordinarily through the word and sacrament. And in that still small voice of prayer and meditation, I think that's true. You know, like when your parents, sometimes you yell and your kids are going to forget that or it'll hurt them, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they'll be on Oprah's couch when they're 25, (laughs) talk about how terrible things are. But for the most part, your most intimate moments are quiet. Yes. Right. Intense, but quiet. Remember. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, well, I just talked about it the other night. I I had the blessing and honor of preaching here at CPYC. And one of the things that I remember as as a kid is sitting outside in my backyard and the wind blowing through the trees and just feeling like I was having this intimate moment and conversation with God. And that was so powerful. It was so absolutely powerful. I think it was. Yeah. So the discussion question that we'll, we'll kind of close out with is how do you understand suffering and pain? Can it be for discipline? Can it be for redemption? Yes. Yes. Is it something that just happens? Yes. Yes. Can it be all of these? Yes. Yes. If so, how do you distinguish discipline from God from something that just happens like a natural disaster? Your walk with God. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a personal thing. Absolutely. Show. Yeah. I mean, like, so if you're disconnected from God, none of this makes sense. Nothing makes sense. Nothing Even makes if you're sense. connected with God, like Job was, it still doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you can pursue it differently. Yes. Right? Yep. I think ultimately what, what I'm learning as we go through Job is that no matter what we're going through in life, no matter what happens to us, good, bad, or otherwise, it is all about just trusting God. Yeah. Thank you. Trusting know. God with everything. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I think at the very beginning, you have an answer to this book in some sense. Um but just because you have an answer doesn't mean you like it, believe it until you've lived through it. So sure. maybe we don't. I will not be comfortable with the book of Job until I'm dead and in the presence of Jesus. Sure. In which case, it'll probably make more sense. Sure. But it doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and it's not a satisfying answer. Or I've gone back to saying maybe the only answer we get is that God is with us. As right. we're faithful to God, God's faithful to us. And, and I'm not saying that's a one-to-one ratio. God will always be faithful to us, period. Yes. But as long as we can realize that God's always with us, never has left us nor forsaken us, I think we can get through this one. And it doesn't have to make sense, although life's more enjoyable when it makes sense. Sure. Um, 
but maybe that's part of being creation because yeah. we're created we don't have to have all the answers and we're not going to and sometimes that's yeah. that's a struggle for those people who like to be right yeah i think that that might be the curse of the garden of good and evil or the knowledge of good and evil when when they ate it mm-hmm. it leads to more questions yep it doesn't really need lead to knowledge not perfect knowledge right it leads to more questions because we're not god yep so a great know. question to end on would you like to Close us out with a benediction and blessing. Sure. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And uh, I guess by the time that you're seeing this, CPYC is already over. So pray for the experiences which these children have had, that God has spoke to them. God is calling them to a a new way of life or a new ministry or a deeper relationship. Um, We're in charge of the prayer centers. And so each day we get to see all the prayer requests that kids uh, put in the in the basket, so mm-hmm. to speak. And so um, we've got certainly enough to pray for, but imagine this, you know, some kids need some help with their home life. Some kids are praying for salvation for their friends or for their family. Some people are obviously praying for the craziness of the world, but pray for those kids that they take part in God's uh, redeeming power. Yeah, but so I hear that still small voice and answer that call. Yeah. All right. Again, like and subscribe, share it with your friends, and we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.